Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. All right, guys, happy Tuesday. We got a lot of fun conversations coming your way, and we are getting started with a conversation about redrafting. We would all love to have do-overs, right? Like a chance to go back, hindsight's twenty twenty, and do something all over again. Shoot. 37 years old? Yeah. I got a bunch of those. Oh, I would totally do college all over again. I would go to a different college. Would you? No offense, Dub. I just didn't, like, I'm not made for, I, I am from Washington State. I grew up in SeaTac. I'm not made for Washington State. It is cold. It is rainy. It is depressing. You would have went down with? I would have gone to California or maybe Texas. Mm. That would be, like, sunny and nice. I don't know. You don't strike me as a college town person, Stacy. You yeah, strike me as a metropolitan. Be. Like you get, you'd go to like Boston College or ah, that uh, weather's gross too. NYU or something like. Oh, that'd that. be fancy. I would do that. I would consider that. But I would something bougie. Yeah, I'd probably go to. I'd probably <laughs> go out of state just for fun. That's probably what I would redo. What would you redo? I would. I would have taken one more trip. I would have taken a trip to Colorado because going there for the Pac-12 Network and being around. Uh, Boulder is one of my favorite. Is it a town or a city? Boulder? Yeah. It's a city, right? It's a city. City? It's one of my favorite yeah. cities in the country, man. Really? Yeah. Boulder? I love Boulder. Would never expect Boulder I've heard out of nowhere. Good things said about Boulder. I've heard bad things about Boulder. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I haven't heard anything about Boulder. Uh, ESPN Plus, um, they went back in time but just uh, just a year, really, to do their redraft of the 2022 class. And it has us wondering how teams are really built. So we'll start here. Uh, ESPN Plus um, in their 2012 new draft class has the Houston Texans taking not uh, Derek Stingley at number three overall. They still take a corner. Tariq Wollin goes number three overall in their redraft. They still have the Seahawks taking Cross at number nine. Walker at 41 instead of 40, and they have um, the uh, Seahawks taking a different outside linebacker uh, in that pick coupled with Walker. But again, great for Seattle's draft class, given that their fifth round pick is now three overall, and they still have two picks that they wouldn't take back. But it also kind of reminds you how impactful a draft class can be when you get a good one. It's hard to do. But that feels more impactful than almost anything when you look at the two teams that are representing the AFC and NFC in the Super Bowl this weekend. Yeah, man, that shows you how uncertain a draft is. Just because you're drafted high doesn't mean you're going to have success. Just because you're drafted low doesn't mean you're not going to have success. And I think a few years back I saw that there were a bunch of guys in like the later rounds who had more success than guys in the uh, the early rounds. But I also think money has something to do with that as well. Because back in those days, dudes were getting paid. I mean, they were getting 40 mil just to, to sign here and come join this ball club. And I would assume that has something to do with their mental and how they prepare or whatnot. I'm sure there's a bunch of stories there. But no, I mean, that's the beauty and the ugliness of the draft is that you really don't know. This dude could have balled in the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12. But something happens, you get to the league, and it just doesn't work out. And Tariq Willen is the opposite. I think that it also, you know, makes me wonder, Bump, how the Seahawks can build really quickly. I hear so much, like, hey, you got to make the defense better, which they do. And you need money to spend on the defense, which they do. But you also need to make sure that you continue to draft well. Like, when you look at the best teams, what do some of the best teams have in common? Young. Quarterbacks. Cheap. Talent. Good quarterbacks. Yep. Um, 
but it's having it's having a lot of flexibility because you have a lot of really good players. And more often than not, uh, those are players that you've drafted, which yeah. is why they're so cheap and why they're young and why they're fast and why they're strong. <laughs> like They're still young. And I think that we have seen this team go so many years without getting a really impactful class that to see them have one from 2022 makes you realize like if they can find a way to, it'll be hard to replicate any kind of the success. But if you can find a way to get like three more contributors in 2023, especially when you have number five overall, that can turn your whole team around. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Three. You need three of these things to hit, and you get them to hit. Then I'm thanks. I'm sorry. I I pronounced it wrong. (laughs) Three of them things to hit, and you have a chance. And the Hawks have had, if you look at the 2020 draft class, you got Jordan Brooks, Daryl Taylor, Damian Lewis, Kobe Parkinson, DJ Dallas, who are are, all contributing right now. Those are good picks. Right? Alden Robinson, Freddie Swain, and uh, Stephen Sullivan, Aren't hadn't worked out or didn't yeah, work out. Yeah. Then you go to 2021, uh, you miss a bit. You got Dwayne Eskridge, Trey Brown, who we're still waiting to see, and he has Stone Forsythe, but you only have three picks. Mm-hmm. And then you get to 2022, and you got a bunch of guys. So you can say two out of the last three drafts they hit. You even go to 2019. You got Marquise Blair out of that, DK Metcalf, Cody Barton, Phil Haynes, who's still here, Travis Homer, who's contributing. So let's say three out of the last four drafts, they've been okay. If they hit on this one, Mm -hmm. I think, like you said, they're setting themselves up for a nice little run. Well, and that's when you start, like, go look at the rosters for the Super Bowl teams. Like, go look at the Chiefs. I know that the Chiefs, um, you know, have, like, Frank Clark, who they acquired via trade from Seattle. But, like, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, right? Like, those are all guys that were draft picks. And they're all guys uh, that are normally uh, incredibly expensive, at least quarterback and then an edge rusher. Like, do the same thing with the Eagles. Do the same thing with the 49ers. It's not that teams aren't built in a lot of different ways or that teams don't find great starters via a seventh-round pick or via claiming someone on the waivers like the Seahawks did with DJ Reed from the 49ers. Like, if he wasn't a free agent, he'd still be probably a starter on this team. But overwhelmingly, some of the biggest contributors are usually guys that they drafted and I don't know why that is. All I know is that it is pretty hard, unlike in baseball, to like buy your way to a Super Bowl. You can buy your way to the Super Bowl, but then you'll be the Rams with no picks, no first-round picks for X amount of years. I was just talking to Maura Dooley about that as I'm grabbing my coffee and uh, talking about just ways to build a team. And she mentioned that. She goes, yeah, well, you can go the Rams route where you know you, you spend all your money on these, uh, these free agents, but that's more of a sprint. I think that teams that are built for the long run, you get a quarterback cheap, and you draft around them, and you have a whole bunch of a whole bunch of um, cheap labor, I mm-hmm. should say. But eventually, you're gonna have to pay those guys. That's why the window for success in the NFL is so small. So that's why later on we're gonna talk about some of these great coaches. The fact that they've continued to be great over the years um, is a testament to just their scouting department, their philosophy, and finding talent. That's all it is. You got to find talent. That's why I don't like the NFL draft. I appreciate the draft for what it is. But you know how many dudes I've seen run a four three who cannot ball? Like he can't ball. He ain't. He, yeah, he's fast. He can do this drill. But turn on the film. Can he snatch a football out there? Can he make the tackle? Yeah. So um, you know, that's the draft for you though. But it's uh, it's nice to see the different ways that teams are being built. Yeah, it is far more. It's like a it's like a batting average. It's a lot easier to strike out and to swing and miss in mm-hmm. the draft than it is to actually make contact. Right. <laughs> than it is to actually hit on someone. And if you're, you know, batting 300, you're doing pretty great. If you're getting three guys out of each draft, you're you're having marvelous drafts. Mm-hmm. Uh and you're right. The Seahawks have been able to and you know what? It could be just DK Metcalf from 2019 and I'd be like that's enough. 
Like, you got a difference maker, wide receiver, who can make any quarterback you bring in better. I'll take it. Right. Like, absolutely. That He is so impactful that one guy working out is enough. Uh, and if Phil Haynes, for instance, becomes a starter for you, okay, then you've got a starting guard and you've got your wide receiver number one. Fantastic. Um, this draft, I hope, hits on more defensive guys because, again, defensive guys in free agency where Seattle needs help don't come cheap. Expensive as You heck. want help in your front seven? You want help at outside linebacker? You want help at a more traditional DN spot or whatever? Like, it's going to cost you. You're shopping penny. in Beverly Hills with That's these exactly defensive players. That's exactly what it is. Man. It's just, it's not going to be easy. So, again, I think that the Seahawks should look at every avenue to improve their team, and they will. I just think that, you know, sometimes we're overlooking the impact that the draft could have when it does work out well. It's not all in or nothing on the draft, but what it is is recognizing that, like, some of what makes these Super Bowl teams so talented is that they hit on so many of those guys. Um There's one position we haven't talked about a lot when it comes to the draft, but since we are talking about redrafting, by the way, I saw someone saying, um, was uh, Tariq Woolen the first corner off the board? No, because Sauce Gardner was number one overall in the redraft. It's weird. Um, How about quarterback? A position we aren't talking about a lot when it comes to the draft. Bob Condota of the Seattle Times is not ruling it out, he told us yesterday. I'm still on the bus that I don't rule out them taking a quarterback in the first round if one's there. You know, I, I, I think it's you can sign Gino and have him be your guy for right now, but it's a rare opportunity to draft as high as they are this time and potentially be able to find a quarterback. You know, quarterbacks on rookie deals are the most valuable asset, a good quarterback anyway, mm-hmm. on a rookie deal is the, most, is the most valuable asset you can have in the NFL. And so, you know, part of the draft is this, is this acquiring assets. We always look at it specifically as the team right now this year, what, what are they going to do? But sometimes you do got to take that, that longer approach to it. Knowing how much help they need on defense, would you draft a quarterback in the first round? It could be with five or wherever they're picking next, like, I don't know, 17, 20. At five, there's only two guys I'm looking at. That's Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. And I like C.J. more than Bryce Young. I feel like mm-hmm. he's built more for the NFL. He showed that last game that he can be mobile if need be. He's not a running quarterback, but he can get loose. Those are only two where I'm taking a strong look. After that, I feel like the downfall is is great. You got Levis, who's emerged as one of these guys. Mechanical dude. He was at Penn State. He transfers over to Kentucky. Looks good. Throwing the football good in the pocket. I mean, then you have the kid Richardson over there from Florida mm. who needs a lot of work. If you are going to be a rookie in the NFL at the quarterback position, in my opinion, all right, you got to be obviously – a technician, you got to read coverages, but you got to be able to buy some time, right? Because you're going to be out there making rookie mistakes, holding on to the football. Most likely you're going to a team that has offensive line issues. You got to be able to move around. That's why I kind of like Richardson. But the only two quarterbacks I'm looking at in the first round of those two are, are Young and Stroud. If those guys aren't there, then I'm just going to wait. There are so many other quarterbacks you can get on the back end. I mean, the last time these guys drafted a quarterback was Alex Magoo, I want to say. In the sixth? In the seventh, seventh round. round. I've seen mocked to them uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, probably just because he's from UCLA. Also from UCLA. Worked UW, probably also because he's crazy athletic. I think Seattle, because of Russell Wilson, will always be mocked with mobile quarterbacks. Yeah. That's like, kind of like no. their identity now, Yeah, right? the people will be like, oh, uh, hey, it'll be Russell. Like, no matter what, 10 years from now, it could be Russell Wilson. <laughs> it could be, be the next Russell. I wonder what Baltimore is going to think about. Like, are they going to start looking for the next Lamar every time they draft? Yeah, good luck finding the next Lamar. Yeah, crazy. But <laughs> if those guys aren't there, then I'm just waiting. I, I am waiting. But let's rewind a bit. 
we'll know what they're going to do as soon as they figure out what's going on with Geno. The urgency is going to be there if Geno's no longer the quarterback for this ball club. But I'm not pressing it. I think you go defense, and if Geno's not here, then you look at your boy Drew, and then you draft somebody late at the QB spot. Well, and we know, interestingly, both of these quarterbacks that are starting in the Super Bowl this weekend were able to be drafted and then sit behind incumbent starters, which some people I would say like many of the top picks certainly don't get a chance to do. Now, Patrick Mahomes came into a successful Chiefs team that already had Alex Smith. He was able to learn from him. Jalen Hurts came in as kind of like a, well, let's take him and see what happens. Like he's so intriguing. Mm -hmm. We'll take him in the second round. But he was playing behind uh, Wentz at the time, I think. So not every team is going to get that. But if Seattle takes a quarterback and hangs on to Geno, we know the young quarterback they select will get that chance. Yeah, eventually. He's the bridge guy. We don't expect Gino to be here forever. I mean, he's 32 years old. He wants to play 10 more years. I hope he does. I hope he has that success. But you got to look at the examples you just put out there. You have Mahomes, who sat for a little bit. Um, the Packers drafted Jordan Love for a reason because they're like, eventually Aaron Rodgers is going to have a decline. He's going to want to get out of here. He's still playing decent ball. I think that's the move. That's Your franchise is based on your quarterback play. It all starts and ends with the quarterback to um, – when you're developing a team. Now, in real football, it all starts and ends with the big boys, the guys in the trenches. That's real football. But if you don't have a quarterback, the chances of you finding a Trent Dilfer and having a defense that's around him that's just amazing is just slim. So That's the thing, man. Like, I, I don't mean to interrupt. I just get so fired up about this topic every time, Bump, which you know, is the idea that, now, you can build a Super Bowl team that way because we can. saw, we literally saw it we happen. It. I would not include 2013 where Marshawn Lynch was a 1,500-yard rusher and Russell Wilson was still making plays and setting some rookie records. I will include Trent Dilfer and include the Baltimore Ravens who went how many games in a row without scoring a touchdown? Four. Four? Five? They went uh, five straight games. Like, how many teams could actually do that? It hasn't been done since that 2000 uh, team. Yes. So I think that what so many people think is, like, get anyone at quarterback and make the defense so elite that nothing else matters. You can get one good quarterback. Or otherwise, if you want to make that defense elite, you better find, like, seven at least great guys. Like, Mm -hmm. you think of the Seahawks in 2013 – like they had a reservoir of talent. They could have they could have been short one or two starters and still probably found a way to win a Super Bowl. Like backups became that, that, starters on other teams. How they do it? Drafted most of those dudes, yeah. right? Drafted most of them, then you add some pieces, and that's what we're seeing right now. I'm not saying I will never say that the next Seattle Seahawks team needs to be like that team back in the day. I don't think you're going to see that again here in Seattle. You got to win in a different way. But what you can say is that the way they did it, you can you can build. Mm-hmm. You can build by drafting a lot of good talent, which we're seeing so far the last three out of the four drafts. You can do it by getting yourself a bridge quarterback and bringing in a young quarterback. We're seeing that's how it was done across the league. You just got to mix some things up a little bit. And I, mm-hmm. I think you're right. The draft. You got to hit at least three players on this draft, and I think they'll be fine. One of the biggest, spiciest stories in the NFL we will get to in 15 minutes. Right now, let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Headline number one, potential history on the line tonight in the NBA. LeBron James has a shot at passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record as the league's all-time leading scorer. He can do it against Oklahoma City, which I'd love to see. <laughs> Only 36 points shy. What's the, real, what's the real headline? You know, it's really just good to know the, Le- the LeBron versus Jordan debate will finally end forever tonight. 
Goodness and gracious. It's just, we're never going to hear about it ever again. Uh, once LeBron does this, it is squashed. It's over. RIP to that debate. Last time we're hearing it. Yeah, right. It will <laughs> never die. And you know what? Here's LeBron. LeBron is the most athletic basketball player to play the game. I, I will give him that. Like he's 6'8". He's fast. He's strong. He gets to the basket. But Jordan had a bag. Jordan had a shimmy fadeaway jump shot. Jordan had handles. He had a step back. He'd get to the lane, go with the right, switch it to the left, boom. Like, LeBron doesn't have that. LeBron is a scorer. He puts his head down. He gets to the basket. He's a smart basketball player. But if you put up the film and just skill-wise and footwork and all that stuff, I don't think there's any debate in that. But once you become the leading scorer of all time, you have to be on Mount Rushmore. I am so glad you said that. Because there's a great article by Zach Lowe that's up on ESPN right now that talks about pure scorers. And they have Kobe. Uh, they've got, like, Carmelo Anthony. Like, guys where they're like, hey, this is these are people that people were like, oh, KD, right? Uh, obviously, like, Jordan. And he said that I think that a lot of people see him as like, oh, he doesn't really have, like, a move. Like, he doesn't have something. Doesn't. It's like he can be really dominant, but for some reason they just think, like, that's part of it, too. But if you're the leading scorer of all time... I think it's working. I think it's working what he's been doing. Bigger, faster, stronger, played for 20 years. He's one of the best. Skill wise, Kevin Durant's a better scorer than LeBron. Skill wise, LeBron's is bigger, faster, stronger, played for 20. Appreciate you, LeBron. But I look, Steph Curry has more skill than LeBron. Kyrie Irving has more then skill how's LeBron than LeBron. Doing it? Just being bigger, huge. faster, stronger. He puts that head down and gets to the rack. Ain't nobody get in front of that man. Well, so that's another part of this. They were like, look, he doesn't have some signature move, but once he gets driving down the court, like yeah. they interview some guys that have tried to defend him, and they, um, uh, Andre Iguodala is interviewed for this, and he says uh, that he has like this uh, right-handed hammer dunk might be his trademark if there is anything, and he says it is impossible to stop. Yeah, it is when he. Brings yep, it back yep, here. Yep, yep. Ah, yeah, that's his move right there. It's just an NFL tight end. That can Headline we rocks. God, yeah, he's like, what, 6'9", like 280? Dude, like, good luck didn't you say Pete Carroll reached out to him during the lockout? Oh, yeah. To, to be like, hey, you want to you wanna come You by? ever thought about this football thing? You ever thought about playing? Headline number two, after what feels like about a million years since their last game, the Kraken are back on the ice Tuesday night against the New York Islanders. That's tonight. What's the real headline? Also potentially coming back, Maddie Beneers. Let's go. That's the real headline. I know that we're all very excited to see the Kraken back on the ice, and there's lots of storylines in this game against the Islanders and plenty of storylines for the Kraken season still to come. We're going to talk with Andy Eide tomorrow. Bump, I know you're very, very excited to have. Hell let's, extremely. Let's learn that hockey with it. Andy Eide. Um but really the real headline and real story is that Maddie Beneers could come back. He returned to practice yesterday. That's good, man. Maddie needs to come back. That was a cheap shot he took. It seems like that forever was. ago. Was that a week or two ago? Right. Now? Goodness gracious. Glad he's healthy. He's the uh, he's the nucleus of this team, man. Only 19 years old. But for the Kraken to have success, Maddie needs to be out there. Welcome back. Get her done, son. Can I continue to say that both Bump and I coming from the football world, only one of us was a former player, but... Both coming from the football world where injuries are not only disclosed, but like half of every single press conference. It remains weird to me that hockey, like, just upper you don't have to say anything. Injury. Yeah, it's like Lower a concussion, but they injury. never say upper body. Headline We Rise. If I have to miss work, uh, you're going to say upper body? Yeah, Kyle asked me, what's wrong? Upper body injury. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. If you're Lower just body injury. Dealing with a horrible, horrible hangover. <laughs> it's, it's an upper body injury. <laughs>
<laughs> Headline number three, new Broncos head coach Sean Payton in his press conference yesterday says Russell Wilson's quarterback coach. Yeah, I know that guy. I know that guy. Won't be allowed in the facility. What's the real headline? Great, because having a quarterback coach in the building was definitely the biggest problem in Denver. Yep. I think we've, we've we solved it. located it. We did it. They're going to win 13 games now. Yeah. Um, uh, you can't be as bad as Denver was without having myriad issues, right? It's not just Russell Wilson having the worst year statistically of his career and having a very real regression as a player. It is not just Nathaniel Hackett and his staff being very green with everything, with almost every single member of the staff having like the first time, first year at that position. Um, it is not just the injuries that they suffered. It is all of it together. I just don't know how big a role having your staff in the building uh, actually plays in that. I think that people are just trying to find a target. Yeah, and that's an easy target. Um, I think everyone has their personal coaches. I train kids all the time. They'll come to my facility, but then they have their guys outside as well. I think it's just Sean Payton trying to change the perception of the Broncos, and the perception was that Russell Wilson was allowed to do whatever he wanted to do, and because that's not common in the NFL to have your personal coach who's not on that staff Mm -hmm. in the building, it's just different, and that's easy for Sean Payton to point out and say, look, I'm changing things. The one thing that everyone was talking about, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get rid of. So yeah, it's an easy target. It's messy. The question's messy. It's not common in the league, but I don't think that's the reason Russell Wilson wasn't balling. No. He wasn't balling because a plethora of things yes. over there. Yeah, a lot of issues. I also just think it's like it, uh, Jake isn't necessarily a private figure, but how many, uh, like, is is Russell Wilson's personal masseuse being mentioned by name, right? Like, yeah. is yeah. his personal photographer being mentioned by name? It feels like trying to... He's not the only one on staff. No, with, what it is is people getting annoyed that Russell Wilson is can be demanding or um, you know wants to do things his way and they're annoyed with that and so they're targeting the outcome of it which is him having his coaches in the building and not the issue which is needing to have an adult in the room in fact we're gonna stick with this story because it is one of the weirder hottest stories in the NFL today um, we've got bumps power five vibe we're going head coaches of the 2000s and a really cool conversation about winning and coaching coming up at 10:45 and 11 so we'll go to Denver figure out what's going on here and then uh, we're gonna go back in time to look at some of the best head coaches in NFL history back to the 2000s just to the 2000s all right all of that coming your way next Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle's Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Bump's Power 5 vibe list of head coaches of the 2000s coming your way in 15. Cannot wait for that one. I love talking about coaching. Love talking about ways to win. That's going to be a long conversation before we get to it. Stories from around the NFL. This one in Denver. Very weird to see uh, a former host here at 710 and a friend of ours, Jake Heaps, being one of the top stories on ESPN. But his name is in there because of kind of like a different story happening in Denver. So let's go ahead and get to that. Um, Sean Payton had his introductory press conference with reporters uh, the other day from the team facility and he was asked um, about whether or not players will be able to have their personal coaches in the building. Here's what he said. How do you feel about players having their own people off the staff in the building access to players? Yeah, that's foreign to me. That That's not going to take place here. I mean, I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it, but our staff will be here. Our players will be here and that'll be it. All right. So again, I need to clarify this is not going to be a conversation about Jake. 
I don't think that like Jake himself uh, or Jake as a quarterback coach was the biggest problem in Denver. I don't care about uh, whether or not if Sean Payton wants to be like, hey, you can't have personal coaches in the facility or a practice. Okay, cool. Like that's the coach's rules like that. Deal with it, Russ. Like the bigger thing is that what this team really needs and what they finally seem to have gotten bump is an adult in the room with Sean Payton. Sean Payton said that's foreign to me. (laughs) Sean Payton's been in this league, what, 15, 16 years. It's foreign to him. So he's not going to allow it. That's just not how he's going to do things. He's taking control of the situation again. I think Nathaniel Hackett's problem was that the first thing he said when he mentioned Russell Wilson was that it was a partnership. And once you, in a way, a quarterback is a partner of the organization because he gets paid the most. He gets paid more than people upstairs making moves to make sure this thing runs. So in a way, he is a partner, but there has to be a separation. There has to be a balance of power. And Sean Payton is making it clear that I'm at the top of this pyramid and everything else will fall accordingly. So I think that it's he's going to do more than just that. He's going to change a lot of things. He might change the the wording on the walls when he gets in there. He might mm-hmm. change pictures. He to might live, change. Laugh, love. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It becomes like a marshal. He might he might change the way that the practice fields are lined up. There are so many things that Sean Payton is going to change to make that organization his. This is just the more popular one because no one's really heard of this situation before. And honestly, I blame Russell Wilson for putting Jake in that position. Russell, if you just would have went out there and ball, nobody's on, on the, the personal coach's head right now. And Russ knew that that was foreign, but Russ in his mind was like, this is what I need to get going. This is what I need masseuses. I need my personal coach. I need 15 hotel rooms booked on the road so my peoples can get there and show up to all my games. This is Russell Wilson's mm-hmm. fault. It's messed up that a person or people are being blamed because of one man's decision and his performance. If he balled out, we're not even having this conversation. Well, first of all, let's talk about having this conversation in general. I saw someone say, like, hey, you guys are too close to Jake. You're being biased. It's sports radio, dude. Like, don't you want to hear insight? You want to hear from Bump because he has been in a professional locker room, because he has been a uh, a player, and he has played in college. He's played in the pros. He knows people within the industry very well. You want, Wouldn't you want to hear from someone who knows Jake well and who knows of that relationship? This is me. Uh, who knows Jake well and knows about the relationship between Jake and Russ like you want bias in this case you want insight you want someone to tell you what they think I'm not a reporter working for the Associated Press being like and this is what happened Jake Heaps a private quarterback coach for Russell Wilson no Bump's telling you hey man like it's it's you know would be kind of weird to see you know like uh, a quarterback coach or whatever you said like in that position like it's tough but also like it's not Jake Jake's not out there being the main problem with with Denver, both things can be true. Yeah. So, yeah, I think what is most fascinating to me is less about Jake and more about Sean Payton, how effective he can be with reining in a lot of the problems that were there. Because there is a real friction and a clash of like power happening uh, in Denver last year, certainly seen between Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson mm-hmm. or the organization and Russ. And I think Sean Payton is just not someone who's going to stand for that. Like, Sean Payton is not a first-year head coach coming in here being like, whatever you think, Russ. Like, Sean Payton's nah. been like, hey, I've been to a Super Bowl. Like, I've, I've been around the block. I'm a smart dude. Like, it's going to be my way or the highway. Sean Payton is making it his. That's what a head coach has to do. He has to go in and make that program his. That's not what Nathaniel Hackett did. He made it ours. <laughs> he made it yeah. his and Russell's. 
And when you have a guy like Sean Payton who's had the success, he's won a Super Bowl, he was one of the mentors for a guy that Russell Wilson looks up to in Drew Brees, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be easier for Russell Wilson to fall in line. And if if Russell Wilson has any accountability, he's looking in the mirror and saying, what I did didn't work. And it didn't work to the extent that I had the worst year in my professional career as a football, probably ever in his football career. This is probably the worst he's ever played at any level. He has to look in the mirror and be like, all right, we need some change. I'm going to follow a man who's been in this league longer than me, who's had this success. If that means, you know what, it's like my like like when you have kids, sometimes you got to do things that they don't understand. You're like, look, trust me, this is going to help you in the long run. Braces. I sat down with my son just the other day. My dude got in trouble at school. I go, you know what, too much freedom, bro. Let's sit down. Every hour of your day is going to be planned out now because you have shown that if you get a little bit of wiggle room, you might go out there and be a 12, 13 year old. Now, you're not doing anything bad. He's a good kid. But, you yeah. know, we got we to gotta discipline. So now, since I let you do it your way, it didn't work out, this is how we're going to do it. This is what helps me. I'm relaying this to my son. I go, look, as soon as I wrote everything down, boom, what I have to do, everything's scheduled. Moms does the same thing. I go, just look how our lives have changed. Right, things are working for us now. So this is what you got to do. That's what Sean Payton's doing. He's going, look, bro, that didn't work for you. Try my way. I've had success in this league. Well, not only that, but Sean Payton with a little bit of sass with it. You know how like fans were counting down the play clock in Denver at a certain point because they just weren't getting the snap off in time? Sean Payton asked about that. I became more and more comfortable, and yet I still want to hear those assistants in my ear always relative to timeout usage, fourth quarter, um, but but yeah, I don't I don't anticipate the crowd having to count down the thirty second So I don't anticipate the crowd needing to cl- count down the thirty <laughs> seconds. Like I think Sean Payton is having none of that. His nah. his um, like temper, I guess. What's the word I'm looking for? Like his um, breaking point is going to be very small when it's like mm-hmm. I am not putting up with this for a long time. Like, my breaking point is going to be 10 seconds away, so we're doing this my way. I'm just like, as an NFL fan, Bump, I'm curious to see what Sean Payton can do with Russell Wilson. Seattle's future is now disconnected from Denver. We can stop hating now. We can stop hating. Nothing they do matters. I don't root against Denver. I hope Russell Wilson does well because Seattle got all the picks they're going to get now, and they're done. They're done after this year. These two teams, these two franchises are unconnected. So I kind of hope that Sean Payton's able to resurrect Russell Wilson's career because if you were to find one person in the NFL as a head coach who might be able to, you'd choose Sean Payton. Yeah, he was the best head coach out there on the market, and you went and got him. That should be exciting. This is the like last year I was I was hating on the Broncos. I ain't gonna lie. We all should have been hating on the Broncos. I didn't want Russell to come in here Monday night football and win. I didn't want him to to win seven, eight, nine games because we were connected. This is a business. So now that we are no longer connected, we have no contracts together, of course I want to see Russell do his thing until you come across the Seahawks. If mm-hmm. you ever do in mm-hmm. the in the playoffs, it'd have to be a Super Bowl. But now we can we can get back to cheering for a guy. Or not cheering for him, but supporting him in a way. A guy yeah. that brought a championship to this city. No one's ever done that before. Of course, Legion of Bloom, Boom. You can, you can cheer on Sherm and all those guys as well. It was a collective effort, but he was a quarterback. So now we can get back to that. And and Peyton, I think Peyton is the perfect guy. If it doesn't work with Peyton, with it's Russell Wilson, work with it's a wrap, homie. You're, yeah. you're done. I just want to kind of, it's, it's almost like when you get through the bitter phase of hating your ex and now you just kind of like want your ex to be happy. You know what I mean? 
That's I've, ne- kinda- I've never gotten to that. Oh, well, I'm that's kind of how I feel about Russell Wilson. I don't want bad things for... <laughs> you guys only root for bad things. For me, it's like you get through the anger, you get through the frustration, and then you think, like, you know what? I had a really good, like, baseline of a friendship and a relationship with this person. Like, Russell Wilson brought good things to Seattle over 10 years. It didn't end really well. There were plenty of warts, you know, with that relationship. <laughs> but you kind of, you look at him from afar and you think, like, good, I want you to be happy. Like, you go find your way. Like, you nah, go find. no follows. I'm not following you. <laughs> you Wifey, blocked. Wifey's you making sure they're blocked. <laughs> nah, you, you erased out of my, all you I know is Jim. all the photos. All I know is Jim. <laughs> <laughs> God. Uh, All right. Well, another thing that you do know outside of Jen Bumpus is some great head coaches. In fact, Bump, you are going to rank your five head coaches, the five best head coaches of the 2000s. So we are not going super uh, back in time. Uh, Apologies to to Vince Lombardi. We are going just back to the 2000s. Then we are going to, uh, stemming from that, have a conversation about winning. What do winning teams have in common? There's this thing that Pete Carroll always says, and I've always, always, always heard him say it, uh, and I've never really bought into it until, like, the last couple months, and finally I get it. That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle's Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. You know what it is when you hear that intro. It is time for Bump's Power 5 vibe list. During the regular season, Bump does his Power 5 rankings. We'll also do this during the preseason and stuff, and it's teams, right? Simple, right, typical, right. like, Power 5 rating list. But... We're getting a little more creative in Super Bowl week. Yesterday, we did the top five performances by a wide receiver in a Super Bowl. Today, you have five head coaches of the 2000s, the top five. So this is not going super far back in time, but you have a lot of choices here, Bump. So what do we got? Do you want to go reverse order? Yeah, we'll we'll go five. We'll start at five. And, uh, you know, big ups, Bill Parcells, Jimmy Johnson, Walsh. Um, all those guys, but yeah. we're, we're focusing on the 2000s. Number five, I got to start with my man. Oh, man, my, my list got me. Here we go. My man, Harbaugh, number five on my list. 147 wins. That's the most for the Ravens. John Harbaugh. John, yes. Yeah. It's not his brother. His brother wears khakis, <laughs> and he's over in Michigan. But since 2008, he's been over there with the Baltimore Ravens. He won a Super Bowl in 2013 with Joe Falacco at that quarterback spot. Remember, that was a Super Bowl when the lights got turned off and uh, the game flipped after that. They were playing against the 49ers. He also brought quarterback option to the to the NFL. Now, everyone's been doing that, but running with Lamar Jackson has changed the way football is played over there in Baltimore. They use him as a running back. Now, he's to a point out in his career where he's mm-hmm. probably done running the ball 10, 15 times a game, so you're going to have to switch it up. But number five, I'm looking at Harbaugh. And wasn't uh, wasn't uh, Ray Lewis on that on that uh, Super Bowl team in 2013? Was he on he that was. Team that well? was his yeah. final season. Yeah, final season. You sent off one of the greatest linebackers in all the land off on top of the mountain. So I'm going with John Harbaugh love at it. number five. All right, number four. Number four. This man don't get a lot of love, man. He does not get a lot of love. Mike McCarthy, 155 wins, 125 what? with the Packers, 30 with the Cowboys, won a Super Bowl in 2011 with the Green Bay Packers. He helped Aaron Rodgers to get two of those MVPs. And seven times in Green Bay, he had a top 10 offense. Aaron Rodgers, I think, has changed the way we look at McCarthy, just how bad we talked about him. He talked about him. Why do you think that we see, because I'm telling you, when Kellen Moore, significantly less experienced than Mike McCarthy, has proven significantly less than Mike McCarthy, when Kellen Moore went on to become OC of the Chargers after McCarthy's staff slash Dallas and Kellen Moore mutually agreed to part ways, 
Kellen or uh, McCarthy was taking over as play caller, and people mm-hmm. were like, "Man, wasting everything in Dallas." And it's like, "Wait, wait, McCarthy did this for the Packers. He sure like, did. McCarthy's done this for Aaron Rodgers." It's like people started to see. I remember bump conversations about McCarthy being like, "He's too old school. He doesn't take advantage of Rodgers." It was almost the conversations that happened about Pete Carroll when Russell Wilson was here. Yeah, McCarthy put some respect on his name. Might not have the personality, the flash, the flair that you guys are used to seeing now with all these young coordinators. But McCarthy, man, he got 155 of those things. Yeah. All right. All right. Number Number three. three. We staying local. Good old Pete Carroll, man. 161 wins. That is 17th all time. He won that Super Bowl back in the day with the Legion of Boom. But here's what he's done. He's kind of changed the way that we view coaching. He showed us there's different ways to do this. My time growing up, I'm that transitional era. We used to get cursed out, choked out, hit in the chest, pulled by the the face mask. It was hard-nosed coaching. That's what we did back in the day. And the the parents be on the sideline like, get him. He didn't do his assignment. Get him. You know what I'm saying? But Pete Carroll brought the the kumbaya. I grew up in West L.A., so I got a chance to see him with USC. He recruited me, sat on my couch, had all these conversations. And he was just different. Right? He... He really cares about the mental health of their of his players, and he finds guys mm-hmm. who fits his mold. He's had a top 10 defense eight times out of 13 years. I know there's been some bad years as of late. I understand that. But let's not forget what this guy's done. Pete Carroll, number three, 161 wins. Love it, love it, love it. And we can also attest both having been at the facility regularly, you more regular than me, but both of us on Thursdays. All of that's still there. Like during show prep on Thursdays, thankfully before we get on air, you can hear music booming from the auditorium where they have their player meeting because they're doing fun stuff. I've seen them in there for like Chad Morton's birthday. That people were hiding in the media room to bring out a cake for them in celebration like everything is so fun over there okay number two number two we're going with my man we had the same agent at one point mike tomlin agent yeah we had the same agent when i was coming out of a a college we had the same agent mike tomlin my man 163 wins that is 16th all time he's won two super bowls one as a head coach one as an assistant he has the most consecutive non-losing seasons to start his career that is 16 years in a row if i were to be a head coach in the nfl i'd be mike tomlin my guy's so cool walk around with his shades dapping up his players but you know when it's time to be serious he turns that thing on there's a clip i saw of him walking through the tunnel and someone's taking a picture they're trying to talk to him goes man i'm effing working here and the guy's like man my bad my bad mike tomlin no nonsense doesn't mess around doesn't mess around you know he's gonna have a disciplined team out there even if they're not the most talented yeah they're gonna be a disciplined football team the Steelers have only had, what, three head coaches in their whole entire existence. Yeah. And Mike Thomas held it down for 16 seasons. And still managed to avoid a losing season thanks to getting a last-minute win in Week 17 this year. Uh, and also, like, I know that the Bucks won a Super Bowl technically with Antonio Brown on the roster, but no one knew anything about Antonio Brown right. when he was being coached by Tomlin because Tomlin was so great at keeping that locker room together, keep, keep, keeping drama at a minimum. Yep. We didn't know. We had no idea. Okay. And then when it, was time, when it was time to... Then we to kick him to the road. He goes, look, like, man, you got to get up out of here now, bro. You're okay. tripping. I don't even know. Well, no, I know who number yeah. one is going to be. Number one. Without a doubt. The big man himself of playing course. in the big game. This is his Super Bowl. He coached Philadelphia, and now he's the coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid. Michael Bumpus. You don't have Bill Belichick at number one? No. Nah. 
No. What? Dang, I slipped up though, low key. Andy <laughs> Reid, how did your top five? How, how did I? How did I slip up on Belichick? You know what, Belichick? I'll throw you at number two. Everything gets bumped down. Okay, Hardball, okay. you're out. Sorry, John. Boom. Sorry, Belichick. My bad, dog. Man, Belichick, man. What, what am I doing? Six but, Super Bowl champions. What am I thinking about right well, no, now? No, hang on. I know you would have included him. I was anticipating him at number one, but I love Andy Reid at number one. Yeah, I love this. No, nah, but he's not. But he's not. It's okay, Belichick. fine, fine, fine. But let's, he, let's hear about Andy Reid because we know the reasons about Belichick. Yeah. He's he has seven Super Bowls. Or you know six, what it is? Maybe it, maybe it's uh, my hate. Belichick. Like, I love him. I appreciate him, but then I hate him at the same time because I literally was doing the research and saw his name just like skipped over. Like, nah, I like Also, Andy. technically, we only went back to 2000, and I think his tenure extends slightly hey, before that. I love you backing me up right now. Thank you. But, but Belichick, Belichick should have been on that <laughs> list. Belichick didn't start winning Super Bowls, though, until 2001. Bump could literally do anything, and as like a co host, I'm going to be up in here like, hey, Bill Belichick, honestly, he's very East Coast. I haven't heard a lot from him lately. You know, the team didn't do much this year. I think it's completely fair to have him at two. No, you have yeah. Belichick at number one, but let's talk about Andy Reid technically at two very, very quickly. All right, Andy Reid, man, 247 wins, 130 with the Eagles, 117 with the Chiefs. Drafts Mahomes. This guy has found a way to stay relevant as a play caller, and he's an older man. Now, he's got the enemy over there who's helping him out, but that's what great coaches do. Surround mm-hmm. yourself with greatness. And this is what happens. Andy Reid. I'm going Andy Reid and Belichick. Y'all share that number one spot. All right. Uh, There is something that all of these coaches, all six of them (laughs) on the Power 5 vibe, all of them have in common. And it's going to fuel our conversation about what it takes to win in this league. That's coming up next.